So welcome if you're here for the first time or if you're visiting. Um, we're grateful that you decided to be with us on this Lord's Day here in the UAE. We've been going through First John as our series. So far we are in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please turn to First John chapter 2. So we've been studying the first letter. Um, John the Apostle has written the second letter of John. The third letter of John, he's also written the book of Revelation, as well as the Gospel of John. Um, So we are studying this, and as we've seen already, he's given us a series of tests for us to understand and to know for sure, to have confidence in the fact that we are Christians, um, to make sure that we are secure in our faith. Um, So he's given us a number of um, tests And today he gives us another test. Um, The first test that John gives us um, is the the test of obedience, which we see in um, chapter 2, verse 3 and 6. Then in chapter 2, verse 7 and 11, he applies the second test, which is um, the test of authentic faith loves God's people. So it's the, the, the test of response. Are we loving people? Are we loving the church and the way Christ loved the church? Last week we examined chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, which was the application of these tests by showing that real faith is not of this world. We may be in the world, but we're not of the world. And he says if you love the world, you love love the world, but you cannot love the Father as well. You cannot have both. So he paints a very clear picture for us. There's no room for middle ground. We can't have one foot in the world and, and one foot in the church. And in our passage this morning, he provides another test for us. And this is a doctrinal test, a test of truth about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 18 um, to verse 23, which we'll look at this morning. And basically, in summary, he says, to avoid this deception that is in the world, um, we need to be discerning of false Teachers and, of course, their false doctrines. That's really the summary of what we'll be looking at this morning. And it's significant, and I want you to notice that this, this is the Apostle John, who is known as the Apostle of Love. Um, he has just written to us about love as an essential mark of a, of a true believer. But now, in our passage this morning, he, call, he calls these false teachers antichrists. Very harsh words. He calls them liars. So he doesn't call them brothers in Christ who just have different viewpoints or different ways of understanding things. He makes it very plain. He makes it very clear that these false teachers are trying to deceive the true Christians, are trying to take Christians away from Christ. So true biblical love is is, is clearly not separated from an emphasis on biblical truth. And I want you to see that. It's not just a feeling. We want to make sure people are following truth, and we want to love them at the same time. Um, To compromise truth about the gospel, to compromise truth about the person and the work of Jesus Christ is really to be hateful to other people. It's to be hateful to the very core of our being, because if we are erring in this area when it comes to the gospel, then people are being led to eternal destruction. Because we are not being truthful and faithful with the the biblical gospel that has been handed down to us by the apostles. 
So follow with me, if you would, from um, chapter 2, and I'm going to read this morning from verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And just as we sang, your truth that has been handed down from the dawn of time. We have received this truth, Lord, that we can know you, that we can honor you, Lord, that we can worship you as you have revealed yourself in the scriptures. And we pray this morning that you again would open our eyes to the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to be spiritually discerning. Help us to know the importance of truth in our spiritual walk with you. May the Spirit lead us into all truth. And thank you this morning, Lord, that we worship you in spirit and truth. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the importance of this, that, Lord, we may not only live by your truth, but that we may also be equipped to effectively declare your truth to those around us. So, Lord, we pray for your help again, that the Spirit of God would open our eyes. He would open our hearts. He would open our ears. To your, to your precious words this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, my sister, who lives in South Africa, um, got a call from a friendly computer software company um, based in Nigeria that offered computer software updates for free and remotely. And she was intrigued And they were very convincing, and eventually my sister gave them her bank details so that they could proceed with the nominal transaction fee. And immediately my brother-in-law, he got a notification on his phone from the bank that a transfer had taken place into a Nigerian bank account. And of course he phoned my sister and tried to find out what had happened, and to cut a A sad story short, my sister had fallen prey to a money scam, Um, and they had to go through lots of trouble to get that reversed, and I'm not even sure if they were able to. But it was a scam, 
And it seems that the internet and all other modern technologies have opened many doors of opportunity for for con artists who are after your money. We have to be so careful. We have to be watchful so that we avoid being ripped off. We need to be staying alert. And it's traumatic when thieves steal our money. My sister was, was devastated. But there is something far more traumatic and far more serious when it comes to um, spiritual con artists. And these are people who claim to be Christians, but they deceive the unsuspecting. And of course, the stakes are much higher than someone's bank account. The eternal destiny of souls is really what is at risk here when it comes to spiritual con artists. And since the day of the, the New Testament, Satan has planted these deceivers into churches. And we see the Apostle John writing to congregations who were struggling with these false teachers amongst them. And they were praying on these people who were um, naive. They were praying on little children who were vulnerable in their spiritual development. So to avoid spiritual deception, we need to develop biblical discernment. And that's what John is teaching us this morning, how we need to be vigilant, how we need to be watchful at all times. And the Apostle John, remember, he's the master of contrasts. He already spoke to us and contrasted light from darkness in chapter 1. He's contrasted love and hate in chapter 2. And again, he's contrasted the, the family of God with the world, which we looked at last week. And now, in our passage this morning, he's contrasting the struggle between truth and error, especially when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. How we view Jesus Christ, what the Bible teaches about Christ, and of course what these false teachers were teaching about Christ. There is a huge contrast. And those who have the truth concerning Christ, and those, of course, who who do not. So John then, he presents the the differences between Christians and non-Christians, between those who have an understanding of who Jesus is and those who don't. Um, to say this is, this is obvious, but it, it must be said, a wrong view of Christ is the fastest path to damnation. We can be as sincere as we want when it comes to religion, but we can be sincerely wrong. So what we view and what we understand about the doctrine of Christ and about the gospel especially is a very serious matter. So my first point this morning I just have two points this morning, and my first point is from verse 18 to 20. To avoid spiritual deception, we need to be discerning of people. Let me read verse 18 to 20. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 
But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, will, and you all have knowledge. So we see there in the beginning of verse 18, notice, and at the end of verse 18, a phrase is repeated, it is the last hour. And the way that we know it is the last hour, he tells us in verse 18, because many antichrists have appeared. Notice that's a plural. It's not talking about one specific person. Now, this, in, this is important for us to, to understand. Because John is saying that Christians then, and not simply Christians now, are already living in the last hour. So John is calling this entire period between the time of Jesus' ascension and his return as the, the last hour. So we are living in the last hour. That's an eschatological term, okay? a, a term talking about the, the end times. But this is the last hour. And of course, there's a coming where the Lord will return, a second coming. We talk about that and, and all believers who live between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ are living in the end days, the end times. And no one knows how long this period will last. The Bible doesn't give us any specific dates. Um, but this is the phrase, the last hour, um, which implies, of course, a, a sense of urgency. Because we don't know when the Lord will return. It could be any day. It could be any moment. But John says that a distinguishing feature of this age is that Antichrist is coming. And that even now many Antichrists have appeared. Now, John is the only New Testament writer to use this, this word. And it occurs five times in four verses. And if you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, you can underline it there. Look at verse 22. It's used there as well. In chapter 4, um, it's used there in verse 3. And in 2 John, chapter, or 2 John verse 7, it's used there as well. But the concept of the Antichrist is found more frequently. We see that particular person, and that's the, the singular form. Um, that particular person we read about in Daniel chapter 7. We read about the Antichrist in uh, Revelation chapter 13. Paul in 2 Thessalonians uh, mentions the man of lawlessness who will exalt himself and display himself as being God. Um, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. He will deceive many people who will perish. And when John says that Antichrist is coming, he refers to this future evil leader. And we don't know who he is, but he is a particular person. And he's saying this, is, he's saying this not to draw our attention of, well, when is this person going to be here? Um, it's not to, take our, to, to make us guess and to predict. That's not what John is wanting us to do here. Um, this is going to be a particular person who, who pretends to be like Jesus and um, will try and draw people to himself. Um, he doesn't want us to, to fall into any type of fear or anxiety about this either. And that's not John's point. John's point is to say that the principle of this Antichrist, 
The principle is already present in this age. The principle. It's already here in this local congregation that he's, he's writing to. Um, the very the attitude is there. And it's present in the, the local congregation with the people that he's, he's writing to. People that who are denying the truth about the scriptures. They are denying the gospel. They are denying the work of Jesus Christ. This is the, the spirit of the Antichrist. Look at it again in verse 18. He says, Even now many Antichrists have appeared. And this is a plural form. So this means that this spirit, this evil spirit, will characterize the, the final Antichrist who is already working in his plan, who's already working in these false teachers who have, who have left the churches already, who have come into the churches, who have tried to deceive people, and um, they've left as a result because they've been exposed. And what he's saying, anyone in opposition to Christ, anyone who offers himself as a, as a replacement to Christ, fits this term. They are false Christ, anti, which means against, and Christ means Christ. They are against Christ. These are false prophets. And these are the people that are, are going to be around. So he's saying, don't be surprised. That's, that's what he's trying to reassure us about. And they're going to be in our churches, he says. These are pseudo-Christians. People who pretend to be Christ. They're going to be here. They're going to call upon you to follow them. And these are the ones who attack the gospel, the ones who attack and assault Christ. And the world is full of these people who claim to be Christ's. But notice in verse 19, John says, The false teachers rise up within the church and present a system that subtly presents something in place of Jesus Christ. So the false teachers are very subtle and they're very cunning. And they use the same terminology and the same labels. They refer to themselves as messiahs, as saviors, as Christs. And they draw people away from the true Christ. The true Christ that is presented and revealed to us in the scriptures. And of course, those who are immature in their faith are the ones who are most vulnerable, are the ones who are most gullible. And these are the people that these antichrists prey upon. These are the ones who will feed on this bait. And these are the ones who will be led further and further away until they are in total opposition to the church, total opposition to Christ and the body of Christ. So these false teachers who, who John labels as antichrists, they, they don't walk around with, with pitchforks, they don't wear red suits and have a tail coming out of their back with horns. Um, these are ordinary people who wear the same type of clothes that we do, speak the same languages we do, that may even know the scriptures like we do. Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He said to them in verse 30, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 
Now, these men were leaving the churches to form new groups, to form their own little congregations. And they were simply saying, we have come into a deeper knowledge of the truth. We know something more secret, something more mystical. Follow us, and we'll let you in on this secret knowledge that you can gain if you, if you follow us and, and leave them. Now, remember, throughout this letter, John is teaching this wonderful doctrine of eternal security. And now he says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. So you can imagine these, these early Christians kind of scratching their, their heads at this point. Um, maybe you scratching your head as well right now. And, and they're saying, well then, is the Bible telling us that we can lose our salvation? Did these people lose their salvation? They were part of the church and then they left. Is it possible to apostatize from true truth? Can you be a true Christian and still lose your salvation? And so John's response is, yes, they went out from us. That is true. Yes, they professed to be part of us. Yes, they professed faith in Christ. Yes, they may have even have been baptized. And they departed. And because of that departure, because of that rejection of Christ, because of that forsaking the church, it shows and it proves that they were never Christians in the first place. They were anti-Christs. And John is saying you can't be a follower of Christ and then be an anti-Christ. So he's trying to reassure them here, isn't he? That, that's really what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, don't worry. If you are a true believer, you have nothing to worry about. But he's saying, be discerning. There are people amongst us that are not true believers. And like I said, this is interesting for, for John to say. See, a lot of people would, would look at this and say, well, you see that this teaches that you can lose your faith. This teaches that you can lose your salvation. And John's response is no. John is not saying that they were true Christians at any point. He is saying that they pretended to be. They acted like true Christians. They had an appearance of Christianity, but they were lost. They were among us, but they were lost. They were false believers who eventually revealed their true colors. And that's what is so beautiful about this local church. The Lord has given us a body to be part of for this for this for this whole point of our security so that we can know who are true believers and who are not. They will not always stay with us because they will be exposed. They will be uncomfortable with the truth of the doctrine of the gospel that has been preached. It's a dogmatic doctrine and the gospel offends. Jesus is the only way. And those people who will not accept that will leave and will depart but they will reveal their true colors. And the true church will be there always. Will be there always. In fact, these people probably received baptism. Um, they probably got baptized. These people probably 
came to the, the Lord's table. And these people seemed to trust Christ in, in, a, in a situation where there was persecution. We know there was persecution going on in the, the New Testament church. But now they've left the church. They've rejected Christ. And clearly there's, there's something wrong here. And John's saying, yes, there is something wrong. The problem is with those who have rejected the Messiah. It's not with God's promise. It's not with God's gospel. It's not with the salvation plan that he has offered his children. There's nothing wrong with that doctrine. There's nothing wrong with our assurance or our perseverance. The problem is with them. The problem is not with you. The problem is with them. They never really believed in Jesus Christ in the first place. And what he's telling us is true believers cannot fall away from the faith. He's been telling us this over and over again. That's why he's been giving us these various tests. But of course, false believers will fall away. And John is saying, the state of their heart reveals not, doesn't reveal someone who knew about grace and then, and then lost it, but someone who never knew grace in the first place. They pretended... They professed, but they didn't possess. They pretended, they professed, but they never possessed. And this is vitally important because John is actually going out of his way here to keep us from being unsettled in our confidence in the the truth of the gospel. He doesn't want us to doubt the power of the gospel here. And he'll come back and he'll say it again at the very end of of verse 21, just to make sure that you understand what he's saying. Remember where he repeats himself, there's an emphasis there. So his point of telling you this is is not to unsettle your confidence, but to assure you, but to actually confirm, even when we see, and we do see it from time to time, those people who have professed faith in Christ, reject him. You may have had a friend or or a loved one that has been to church so many years and seemed so committed to the church and was involved in ministry. And then one day they just forsook the faith and wanted nothing more to do with Christ and might have even taken people with them. He's saying, don't be surprised when that happens. These people never knew Christ in the first place. They professed, but they didn't possess. You see, the fellowship of God's people It's not built upon our feelings. It's not built upon other people's response. The fellowship of God's people is built upon the reality of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is built upon the gospel. It's built upon what Christ has done for us on Calvary. And that we have to have our confidence in. Not on what other people do. And not on what other people say, but on what the scriptures say about Jesus Christ. If you reject the reality of Jesus Christ, you obviously reject that fellowship of Jesus Christ. And that's what was happening. And what we see here is people rejecting the truth, and as a consequence, they rejected the fellowship. They rejected the the, the local church. They never wanted anything to do with that. That's what we see happening here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. This is the background. 
um, to verse 20. Look at verse 20. John says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So John is telling his readers that the spiritual knowledge is not restricted to some elite circle, to some elite group that is in the church. He's saying, you all have this knowledge of the truth of the gospel. This is what you had to understand in order to be saved. And he talks about this anointing, and he says, you've all been anointed. Um, The Holy Spirit anointed you. He opened your eyes. He dwells within you. And that is for believers only. The Holy One has promised this. And you have received the Holy Spirit at the point of your salvation. So the Holy Spirit is not going to leave a true believer. True believers will never lose their salvation. They will never lose this gift of this Holy Spirit that is indwelling, that has anointed them, that will teach them, that will lead them, that will comfort and guide them. The false teachers, of course, may have been using the same type of terminology. Even today, you hear the word anointing as a as a mystical term for a, for a higher blessing. But John takes their term and he uses it in context of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of this new birth, at the moment of your salvation, God's Spirit opens up our eyes. And remember, we were blind in our sins. And now our eyes are open because the Holy Spirit has opened them to see all truth, to see our sinfulness. And to see our need for a Savior. And to see the all-sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross to pay for our sins. So this simple gospel message is what these believers had heard from the, the very beginning. And that's what he says in verse 24. This is not some new doctrine. This is what they may be teaching, but this is not something new. This is what we've been teaching all along. This is what the scriptures teach. This is what has been handed to you down by the apostles. This is not new. Rather than moving on from it to some new higher truth, to some higher level, to some higher plane, they needed to put their faith in the gospel, in the gospel that was handed down to them that they had believed from the very beginning. So he's trying to help them not to be shaken, not to think that there's something else that they need to put their faith in. Trust in the gospel, he says. So John's first point is that to avoid spiritual deception, we need to be discerning of these false teachers, these people professing to be Christian. And Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. But they are liars. They are deceivers. My second point this morning is from verse 21 to verse 23. To avoid spiritual deception, we need to be discerning of doctrine. We need to understand doctrine. And already... John has alluded to this in our previous passage where he talks about us not being gullible, not being these little children that can be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We need to be understanding the the word of God. We need to be growing in our understanding of biblical doctrines. 
And the word doctrine is just a fancy word for teaching, okay? So don't be afraid by that word. We should learn doctrine, biblical doctrines. It's good for us. And we live in a day that has rejected the idea of absolute truth, especially when it comes to the, the spiritual realm. And the world will say Christians are arrogant because we say that we know the truth and that others who do not share our view are wrong. And they say we're too dogmatic and we, we're too arrogant. And they'll say, well, you're free to have your own spiritual opinions as long as you don't claim that your view is the only view, that your view is the right view. We need to be tolerant. That's the, the name game. But notice how contrary this is to John's statement. How opposite this is to what the apostle is teaching us. Look at verse 20. He says, you all know. And in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Now that's, that's pretty dogmatic, folks. That sure sounds like John believed in absolute truth when it came to the spiritual things of God. And he claimed that we can know the way, the only way. We can know what is right and what is wrong. And there's a few implications here which I want to briefly touch on, and then some application. And the first characteristic, then, of these antichrists is that they, they do not remain. They do not stay. They do not stay because they, they are not real. And secondly, they deny the faith. In verse 22 and verse 23, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So what we believe is important, folks. Christianity is not about a group of people getting together each week and singing Kumbaya. That's not what church is about. John has already established in chapter 1 that our fellowship is based in Jesus Christ. What we believe about Jesus Christ is vital. True Christians have the right view of Jesus Christ. True Christians have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. True Christians love the body of Jesus Christ because they understand that Christ is the head of the church. And they will serve him in the body that he has placed them in. They understand about the work of Jesus Christ. They understand about the person of Jesus Christ. They understand about the gospel, his work, his sacrificial work on the cross. And the people who affirm this are true Christians. And the ones who don't, and they don't care about these things, and they have all their, their own ideas when it comes to authority, they are these antichrists. They want to be their own Messiah. They don't want to submit to what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ and the implications when it comes to our obedience and service to him. 
The ones that don't are not. Not only do you have to believe in Christ to be saved, contrary to what is now popular, that you can just believe there's a God up there somewhere and you can go to heaven. Not only do you have to believe in Christ to be saved, but you have to believe in Christ who is the true Christ of the Bible, revealed in Scripture. Many people making up their own ways to get to to God and making up their own little demi-Christs. We can't make up our own version of Christ. That's breaking the Ten Commandments, the the Second Commandment. We can't make these, these false idols. And not only do you have to believe in Christ, but in Jesus Christ, who is the promised, anointed Messiah of God, who is both God and man. And you have to believe what he taught about salvation. You have to believe the the true gospel. You have to believe the doctrine of the Trinity. And this has been attacked over the last few years, this, this doctrine of the Trinity. And many other doctrines that people seem to be smudging and saying that they're not important. It's very important what we believe. If you don't if you don't know God and you don't know the Father, that's what John is saying. You can see here again that the Father and the Son are combined. They are linked. And the one who denies the Father denies the Son. I remember in India, talking to a man who had these strange ideas about the Trinity and that God was not three in one, but rather he was one in three, wearing three different hats, but only one person. That's not what the biblical doctrine, te- the Bible teaches about the Trinity. Um, a modelist, a modelism, that's also creeping into the, the churches today. And I said, well, if you don't believe what the Bible says about God, then you deny the Son. And he was furious. He picked up a chair and he was ready to hit me over the head because I called him an antichrist. And he was. According to the Bible, he didn't believe what the Bible told him about who Jesus Christ was. This is what the scriptures teach. If you deny the Son, you deny God, the God who is the Trinity. And if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. That is to say, if you reject Christ, you do not know God because there is only one God, and that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God that has been revealed to us in the scriptures. And that's how he designates himself. That's how he calls himself in the the New Testament. You know, a popular sentiment, a popular worldly view goes like this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. When you share Christ with someone who buys into this way of thinking, they they probably will respond like this. It's nice that you believe that, but I have my own beliefs. Well, according to this view, sincerity is the main thing. Truth doesn't really matter. Truth is nonsense. I'm just being sincere here. That's what's important. Well, think about this for a moment, folks. You can sincerely drink poison Believing that it is medicine, but it will kill you just the same, won't it? 
doesn't matter how sincere you are. And sound doctrine really does matter. Sound doctrine is linked with the personal relationship with Christ. What do you believe about Christ this morning, folks? As we come to the Lord's table, what do you believe about the the death of Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the suffering of Jesus Christ? It is linked to a personal relationship with God. And John says that if you deny the Son, you do not have the Father. And he goes on to talk about abiding in the Son and the Father in verse 24. We've looked at this word abiding over and over again. Abiding is John's word for fellowship, for, for close communion, with close relationship with God. And of course, we have that relationship with others who are Christians because of the relationship that we, we have in Christ. And his point is that if you deny this essential truth about Jesus Christ, and yet you claim to know God, you are deceiving yourself. You are lying to yourself. This is not to say that a new believer must be able to understand the Bible completely and perfectly. That he's not saying that. We must not, he's not saying we need to know all the correct theological statements about the, the Trinity and the two natures of Christ in order to be saved. That's not what he's talking about. But it is to say that if someone knowingly makes these heretical statements about Christ and he's not willing to be corrected, then his salvation is suspect. If he's not willing to examine that perhaps he's made a mistake in his understanding of who God is, then there's there's something to be concerned about. And sound doctrine necessarily goes along with a genuine personal relationship with God. Now, John Calvin, one of the reformers in Geneva, he once said, as Christ is the head, sorry, as Christ is the end of the law and the gospel and has within himself all the treasures of wisdom and understanding, so also is he the mark at which all heretics aim and direct their arrows. That's a wonderful, wise statement, isn't it? Christ is the end of the law and the gospel. And he will be attacked. And people will try and break down the work that he has finally and fully accomplished on the cross. And people will try and make you doubt and the world doubt about the only hope that this world has. And they will fire these arrows at this wonderful person, this wonderful doctrine, this completed doctrine of who Jesus is. But he tells us again and again, the only way we can know the Father is through the Son. We all know John fourteen six, But these false teachers were denying that Jesus is the Savior. They were denying that. And the context here, which refers to Jesus as the Son of God and which closely links the Father and the Son, indicates that these false teachers denied the full deity of Jesus. They said he wasn't really God. Much like our our Muslim friends would say today. They denied the incarnation. That God took on human flesh in the virgin birth. 
They taught that the Christ came upon Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. As a human, Jesus Christ came from heaven and and occupied his body. They had these weird, Gnostic ideas about the work and the person of Christ. But we have modern cults which are not too far dissimilar. Modern cults all go astray. They all turn in the wrong direction when it comes to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you ask them, what do you believe about the gospel? Make sure that they talk to you about God being holy. Make sure they talk to you about man being a sinner. Make sure they talk to you about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was offered as a payment for our sins. Make sure they talk to you about our response, our response to this message, this gospel. And I would encourage you, if you aren't already being discipled, we have men who are discipling other people going through a little book called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. And it's a 10-week course. And I would encourage you to go through this book with one of these men and be discipled, be, be trained up, be equipped so that you can share effectively the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we believe about the gospel is important, folks. And we need to be effective as we communicate this because there are false teachers out there. There are these antichrists out there which have a totally different message. A dangerous message. They will take people away and cause them to fall away. We deny the Son of God. We deny God the Father. And in the words of the Apostle of Love, John calls them liars. He calls them deceivers. He calls them antichrists. And then he closes with these words in verse 22. This is my conclusion. In verse 21, sorry. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. In other words, John is saying, I'm not bringing to you some new truth that you haven't heard before. You've already heard this and you know it and you believe it. But he is saying, I'm saying these things in order to give you confidence. Confidence in your standing in Christ. Confidence in the doctrinal teachings which John had revealed and Paul had revealed and Jesus had revealed that these people believed and embraced. And their unity was to be built around the truth of the gospel. And our fellowship is the same, folks. Our fellowship is built around the truth. This is not a sentimental thing which we, which we think makes us feel good. The gospel is offensive. And the tie that binds us is not the tie of just us liking each other's company. There are some people that are difficult to like. And it doesn't matter. That's not important. We overcome that. We love them sacrificially because of Jesus Christ. The tie that binds us is Jesus Christ, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The tie that binds us is Jesus Christ. 
and our profession of him. And that's what baptism is all about. And we're having baptism classes tomorrow, and I would encourage, encourage you to come hear why baptism is important. We profess before our brothers and sisters that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And it binds us as a church. It's a public declaration of your faith in front of the brothers and sisters who are going to hold you accountable to that declaration to the, in the local church. And again, to protect us, to help us, to grow in our faith. And it's all around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what creates Christian fellowship. And no true believer has ever separated themselves from Christ or the fellowship of the saints. I mean, there may have been periods where, where they've left the church for a while, but a true believer will always want to be part of the body of Christ. Now, that's why the, the test here is so very important, because it shows us that we understand who Jesus is and what he did and what he meant to accomplish by his life and death and resurrection. So what do you believe about Jesus Christ this morning? As we come to the Lord's table, I want you to answer that question quietly as, you, as we spend time examining ourselves before we partake together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Even though these words were hard this morning, they were full of truth. We pray, Lord, that we would submit to your truth and we would be willing to learn and to conform and to change where we need to so that we would be more like Christ, that people would see Christ in us as a church, that we would be a church that loves Jesus, a church that loves his gospel, a church that is willing to guard the gospel with our lives, that we would be faithfully declaring it to those around us who need to be taken out of the darkness that they are in, into your marvelous light. So Lord, may we grow in our love for you. May we grow in our love for truth. May we grow in, your, in our love for the Bible. Give us a greater appetite, Lord, that we would be faithful students of your word, approved unto God. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.